Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, would you please open your Bibles to the book of Micah? We're going to be in Micah chapter 1 this morning. And if you don't have your Bible with you or you're new with us, I want to encourage you to open up one of those pew Bibles. And I want you to follow along with us. If you're using the pew Bible, you'll find Micah chapter 1 on page 823. Don't be afraid to use your table of contents. It's, it can be a little tricky to find, uh, but I want to encourage you to keep it open the whole time this morning. Ezekiel and Lucy, you are a blessing to us. You're a gift from God. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that God in his kindness allows our church to be a part of your work. We are proud of you. We are grateful for you. Uh, we enjoyed spending time with Kenna last summer on her visit, a precious daughter. Hopefully one day we'll get to meet Riri face to face. Uh, but thank you for your perseverance and for your faithfulness to the Lord and the gospel. We are delighted to be your brothers and sisters in this gospel work. Thank you. Uh, if you are not giving to our missions fund, what is wrong with you? It needs to happen now. Love to talk to you more about that, uh, or Pastor Steve would. Uh, would you please make giving to our missions fund a part of your regular worship in your walk with the Lord? Micah chapter 1, verses 8 through 16 is where we're going to be today. Last week, we began a new sermon series in the book of Micah. Uh, our goal is not just to get through Micah. I want you to know some things about Micah. I want you to have some Micah muscle so that uh, anytime you come across it or you find yourself on jeopardy in the category is the book of Micah, you would know things. And so here's a, a few tidbits of information we talked about last week, some things to keep in mind. Uh, the book of Micah is a collection of Micah's messages over the duration of his ministry. Uh, they were spoken before they were written. And so these messages, these oracles cover the span that, uh, roughly three decades, less than that, but uh, within the, the time frame of three decades. The book of Micah, you can read uh, a lifetime of ministry in about 20 minutes. It just takes 20 minutes to read the book start to finish. Uh, Micah was from a small town called Moresheth Gath, which was in the southern kingdom of Judah. We don't know a lot about Micah. We don't know the name of his father. We don't know his family. We don't know his job. Uh, we just know his town, his ministry, and the time period of his ministry. He prophesied during the reigns of three kings of Judah, uh, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. He's a contemporary of Isaiah. Isaiah and Micah uh, com, uh, fulfilling their work at the same period of time. Now, Micah's ministry was primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, you'll remember, if you were with us last week, or you remember a bit about your Old Testament history, Israel used to be one united kingdom under King Saul, and then King David, and then King Solomon. But after Solomon's death, the kingdom split into two. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, which had a capital city called Samaria, the southern kingdom of Judah, and its capital city, Jerusalem. Micah lived in Judah. His ministry was primarily to the people of Judah, though from time to time his messages were for the northern kingdom of Israel as well. Uh, he sees the sins of Israel and God's coming judgment on Israel in the form of the enemy nation of Assyria. And this is when Micah's ministry takes place. It's right before 
Israel meets its end at the hand of the Assyrian army. So he sees the sin of Israel and God's judgment coming on Israel. And he also recognizes in his own people in Judah that their sin is the same and God's judgment is also on the horizon for them. Major themes in the book of Micah, two of them. One is God's judgment and the other is God's grace to sinners. A few tips for you when you're reading through the book of Micah. Some things that I think might help you read better and understand better where you are. First of all, when you're reading Micah, know where you are in the book. And here's what I mean. The book has a, a very a, a, a specific structure. And if you know where you are in that structure, it can help you as you read. When you came in this morning, I hope you grabbed this handout. There's a map on one side. We'll get there in a moment. And then there is an overview of the book of Micah on the back side. And I really like the way this writer has structured the book of Micah. He split it into three different parts. Uh, and those parts are set apart by the command to hear or listen so the book opens with a command to listen. Then you get to chapter 3, listen up again. And then again later on, you've got these three commands to listen. And then within those three sections of the book, you have an announcement of judgment. You have the revelation of evidence against God's people. So here's why the judgment is coming. And then you have a word of grace at the end of that section. So judgment, evidence grace, some lament mixed in there as well. So if you're reading the book of Micah, you might ask yourself, what kind of passage am I in? Is this a passage that speaks judgment? Or is it identifying evidence against God's people? Or is this a passage that speaks of grace? That can be really helpful to know as you're studying the book. A second question you might want to ask yourself as you study is, who's the speaker in this passage? Could be Micah, could be God. It could be God's people, but those are normally your three best options. And knowing who's speaking can be advantageous in your study. And not only who's speaking, third question you might ask is, who's the audience? Who's being spoken to? Uh, is it Israel? Is it Judah? Is it both of them? Who's the audience? Uh, and so using this overview page and these handy-dandy tips I just gave you, this morning we are in a judgment passage the second half of chapter 1 announces God's judgment. Micah is the speaker. That's different from last week. Last week, God was the speaker. This week, Micah is the speaker at the end of chapter 1. And he's speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. He's speaking to his people. Again, last week was different. Uh, the book opens uh, with the announcement of God's judgment on Israel. Now we turn to God's judgment coming to Judah. Reading a judgment passage in the Bible is kind of like hearing tornado sirens. If you're not from the Midwest or if you're from Kenya, you may not be familiar with tornado sirens. I mean, you know the idea that here are these, these sirens positioned at different places in town to announce coming danger. Growing up in the Midwest, uh, every town is covered up in tornado sirens. It's a big deal. Uh, in the little town we used to live in, every Monday at noon, they would test the tornado sirens. Didn't matter if the sun was shining or not, uh, if there was a storm or not, they just test it. Every week, noon o'clock, you know the tornado sirens are going to go off. Now, if there was bad weather 
and a threat of tornadoes, and you heard the tornado sirens go off, uh, you would know that's a warning. That's a warning to the residents within hearing distance of the siren. And so hearing that warning, you have a couple of different options. You can receive that warning as a warning to yourself and seek shelter in your basement and protect yourself from the tornado that could be on its way. But what most uh, good citizens of Kansas would do is they would take their phones outside and point them up to the sky and just wait to see the carnage unfold. It doesn't make any sense at all. But it matters what you do with a word of warning. Your response is super important. So when we read our passage today in Micah chapter 1, it's like we're hearing tornado sirens announcing the judgment of God. And even though this story is past tense, it's still a warning of judgment to come for every person. And so how should we respond? There is a wrong way to respond, and there is a right way to respond. And Micah shared this warning with a desire for a response, a proper response from those who heard. And so the question to you today is, how will you respond at the announcement of God's judgment? My goal today is to teach you how to respond to God's coming judgment on your sin. There is a right response to this warning. And Micah shows us three ways to respond to God's judgment. Now, before we read, I need to set the stage just a bit more so that you understand what it is we're about to read. You might remember chapter 1 opened with Micah announcing God's judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel. But, and that announcement ended in verses 8 and 9 with Micah's lament. We read those two verses last week. In response to God's judgment on Israel, Micah was crushed by grief. And one of the reasons he was so crushed is identified in verse 9. He says, the sins of Israel have seeped down into Judah all the way to Jerusalem. And so Micah knows that the judgment that's coming for Israel is also coming for Judah. And the passage we're about to read is the announcement of God's judgment uh, to a bunch of towns in Judah. So Micah laments this judgment in verses 8 and 9, and then he announces the judgment of God on the towns of Judah throughout the rest of the chapter. So I want you to follow along with me as I read Micah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. Because of this, I will lament and well. So again, Micah is saying, because of the judgment of God on our sin, I will lament and well. I will walk barefoot and naked. I will howl like the jackals and mourn like ostriches. For her wound is incurable and has reached even Judah. It has approached my people's city gate as far as Jerusalem. Don't announce it in Gath. Don't weep at all. Roll in the dust in Beth Lephra. Depart in shameful nakedness, you residents of Shafir. The residents of Za'anan will not come out. Beth Ezel is lamenting. Its support is taken from you. Though the residents of Moroth anxiously wait for something good, disaster has come from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the horses to the chariot, you residents of Lachish. This was the beginning of sin for daughter Zion because Israel's acts of rebellion can be traced to you. Therefore, send farewell gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Achzib are a deception to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror against you who live in Merishah. The nobility of Israel will come to Adolam. 
Shave yourselves bald and cut off your hair in sorrow for your precious children. Make yourselves as bald as an eagle, for they have been taken from you into exile. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for man to die and face the judgment of God. We know that every person has a date with the judgment of God. From Micah's vantage point, that judgment was future tense. When we read Micah's account, it is past tense, but we know that even still today, all people are going to face a future judgment from God. And in light of that judgment on our sin, Micah shows us three ways we should respond to God's judgment. What does this require of us? The first response is this. It should be a response of agony. When we hear of, read of, when we see the certain and coming judgment of God on our sin and the sins of others, we should respond with agony as Micah did. We spent some time in verses 8 and 9 last week. It's important that we do so again. Those two verses are a, a hinge in the middle of chapter 1. They shine light on the first part of the chapter. They give understanding for the second part of the chapter. Last week, we asked the question of these two verses, what do they teach us about God's judgment? And, and I told you they teach us that God's judgment is mournful. We see Micah's mourning, and that speaks to us of what God's judgment is like. But today, the question we ask is, how should we respond to God's judgment? And the answer is that we, like Micah, should agonize, lament, grieve the fate of those who will face God's judgment without the covering of Jesus Christ. He mourns it in verses 8 and 9. He invites us to grieve with him at the end of the chapter, verses 12. He, he speaks again just very tangibly of a grief that is evident, that is outward in light of the certain and terrifying judgment of God on sin. Micah is undone at the vision of judgment to come. And it's important to note that he isn't grieving innocent people. He is grieving a just and deserved punishment on people who have committed horrific sins against God and against each other. Yes, their judgment is deserved, and yes, it is a reason for us to grieve and to lament the judgment that is to come. Just as Micah grieved the judgment to come, so should we. It begs the question for us, what is the fate of the lost? What will happen to those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior when they stand before God to give an account of their souls? The Bible teaches us that those who are judged unrighteous by Christ will be assigned to a conscious eternal punishment called hell. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus said of the unrighteous, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, Paul wrote that the unrighteous will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from His glorious strength. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, it's described this way, the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. And again, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said this, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that they have nothing more that they can do. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. 
The Bible clearly shows that God is pouring out His wrath against the unrighteous in hell. The Scripture uses a variety of images to describe this indescribable suffering. It's called the lake of fire, the eternal fire, outer darkness, the place where the worm does not die and the flames are never quenched, the place of wailing and gnashing of teeth, separation from the blessings of God, eternal destruction, eternal torment, death, the second death, and the place where God pours out His wrath and retribution. And from the totality of these images, we can understand that hell is a place where the unrighteous undergo conscious punishment for all eternity. Now, there are two mistakes we can make with this understanding of God's judgment that would keep us from sharing the heart of Micah, the agony of Micah. The first mistake is to believe that hell is not real. Hell is at worst a metaphor. It's a doctrine for fundamentalists and preachers who yell and spit a lot. We're too modern and too theologically evolved to believe such arcane things. And plus, there's no way such a horrible doctrine is compatible with a God of love. And so if hell's not real, then we have nothing to grieve, no agony to experience. Micah is just being dramatic. It's a mistake. Another mistake is to believe in the doctrine of hell and yet rejoice in the judgment of sinners. And so we would import divisive attitudes from other spheres of life, opposition to enemies. We would import that into our theological frameworks and we would assume they get what they deserve, they should die for their sins. Let's be glad that the Lord has done this thing. And from that point of view, Micah is actually being soft. But Micah's response is the right response to a knowledge of God's judgment on the lost. How can we be indifferent to hell? How can we rip so much of the Bible out of itself because it's something that makes us uncomfortable? Or that someone somewhere said it's incompatible with a loving God. The evidence of his love for you is that he tells us repeatedly of this punishment on the unrighteous. We are warned over and over again. The the most horrific thing God could do is remain silent. But we are without excuse. He's told us over and over And if you choose not to believe the doctrine of hell, you do so at your own peril and the peril of the whole world. The Word of God is clear on this. We cannot be indifferent to it. In believing it, we must grieve. We can't be indifferent to the doctrine of hell. We can't be indifferent to those who will experience it. If you really understood what's being described in the Word of God, you wouldn't rejoice for anyone to face that judgment. If you properly feared the one who had the power to throw someone into hell, you would never, never be glad that even God's worst enemy would face that sort of judgment. The people Micah grieved were deserving of the punishment to come. We must share the prophet's agony for our own towns. We've lost the agony of the fate of the lost. 
just this past week, I was in a conversation with two pastors, one from Wellesley, one from West Bridgewater, faithful gospel brothers. And uh, one of the gentlemen was talking about how beautiful Hingham is. Gorgeous town. Uh, World's End, just beautiful. Downtown, just quaint uh, to the point of nausea, just beautiful. Uh, the, the, the homes, big, beautiful homes. And with Micah chapter 1 on my mind, I agreed and I added this. We're a town of every worldly success, and inside these beautiful homes are people facing a future hell without faith in Jesus Christ. Do not envy those who have gained the whole world and sold their souls for so very little, grieve with Micah and grieve with me that our neighbors are being comforted all the way to the eternal punishment. If we will not grieve for them, if we will not agonize for the judgment to come, why would we take the gospel to them? Why would we support gospel work in Kenya among people uh, who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ? We must agonize over the judgment to come because it will be horrible and certain for those who do not know Christ. Our first response is agony. And our second response to God's judgment should be a response of repentance, personal repentance of our own at the judgment of God on sin. This passage, chapter 1 of Micah, is a deeply personal account of judgment. It may not seem like it at first until you realize that the towns that Micah lists off are neighboring towns near him, as well as his own town, his hometown of Moresheth Gath. He mentions it in verse 14. When Micah lists these towns, these aren't fictional places. They aren't places that just exist on a map somewhere. He's seen them. He knows them. He knows people there. They are his own neighbors, his own family. The judgment of God is coming to these places. And he does something that's really unique with the names of these various towns that's lost in the translation of this passage from Hebrew to English. Every town that he's mentioned has a Hebrew name, and in Hebrew, the names of these towns have meaning. And so he takes the names of these towns, and he turns them into a pun that announces the judgment of God on that town. When you and I think of puns, we think of things that are humorous. There's nothing funny about this. And so, uh, if you have your handout, I want you to take a, a moment to check out the map. And this map was made specifically uh, for Micah chapter 1. In the upper left-hand corner is uh, a yellow box that lists all the names of these towns. And if you didn't get this on your way in, don't sweat it. There's, I'm sure there's more out there. We'll get it for you. Uh, you can grab one on your way out. Uh, but the names of all the towns are listed in that yellow box. And then to the right is the translation of what their name means. So the town of Gath means to tell or to speak. And Beth Lephra means house of dust. Shafir means beautiful. And so what Micah did was he took those names and he turned them into the announcement of God's judgment on these spaces. So I want you to listen as I read one scholar's reconstruction of this passage uh, with the English names of the town used. It would have sounded something like this to the original hearer. 
In tell town, don't tell it. In dust house, roll in the dust. Get yourselves out of there in nakedness and shame, residents of beauty town. There will be no exit for exit town. The mourning of neighbor town means no more neighbors. For the residents of Bitterville hoped for better. War has come down from God to the gate of the city of peace. Bind the chariot to the harness, residents of Harness Town. Therefore, you will give parting gifts to the inheritance of Gath. The houses of deception will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror to conquering town until the land of the caves will flee the glory of Israel. If Micah was writing this account about towns on the south shore, it might sound like this. Rockland will be crushed into sand. It will not go well for Norwell. Situate will be sickened. Cohasset will collapse. Hull will see hell. Weymouth will have no way out. Hingham will meet the hangman. Micah lists off the names of these towns as if to say to us, God knows your address also. This is not about them. It is about us. It's about me. And as the reader of this passage, seeing God's judgment specific on display, a judgment on towns that don't even exist for archaeologists anymore, I've got to know that he knows me and he sees me and this calls me to a response of repentance, to turn from my sin and my self-righteousness and turn back to Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I wonder how you might respond to such a heavy passage. Like, I understand it can be startling to hear these words of judgment, but the intent of this message is not to just shame or to injure you or to beat you up. The intent is to turn you away from eternal danger. Because with this warning comes a promise of rescue. That's God's regular pattern in the Bible. He doesn't condemn you and then just throw you away. He warns you and He invites you to find rescue in Him. Now, if you continue to reject Him, He will give you what you desire. He'll give you what you deserve which is an eternity separated from Him. If you die and stand before God without the covering of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you will spend your eternity, eternity in a conscious, eternal hell. You have to know that today. We don't stand before God in the hopes that someone will pray us out of that judgment after our death. Or that it's just fictitious or metaphorical. You stand before Him, and it is done for your soul, my friend. And this is the gracious love of God, the compassion of God warning you today that seeing His judgment, you have to turn to Jesus Christ. There's a hope extended to you that wasn't extended to the residents of these towns, and that hope is this, that God loves you so much He gave His only Son to die in your place for your sin. The judgment that you deserve Jesus, God the Son, took on Himself at His death at the cross. He's the only one that could do this for you. There's no one else because He is fully God and fully man. 
born of a virgin. He's the one and only perfect sacrifice for our sin. Every one of us have sinned against God. Every one of us are guilty and deserving of this judgment and worse. But because you're loved, Jesus took on flesh. He died in your place for your sin. Dying, he removed the penalty that your sin requires. He ate all the wrath of God for your sin. The the hope of the passages is found in this. Three different times the city of Jerusalem is referenced in Micah chapter 1 as a place where God's certain judgment is going to fall. Micah could not imagine the way God's judgment would ultimately fall in Jerusalem on the day that Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you. Micah saw judgment in the form of enemy armies with weapons. He had no concept at this point of the Messiah who would die in our place for our sins. You know so much more than Micah did. You've seen so much more than Micah saw. And God's invitation to you is to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ and find the life that you were created for, to be forgiven of your sin, to be granted eternal blessing at the throne of God, to know him forever and to be with him forever. That's his promise to you. He knows your address. He knows your name. He knows your steps. And his love for you is seen in the invitation to come to Jesus Christ. Today, will you give your life to Jesus Christ? Today, will you believe what the Bible says about the judgment to come and the rescue that's found in Jesus I've got a bit more to say about the book of Micah, but at the end of our time together, we're going to sing a song. Our service will be done. People will exit this room. I want to talk to you today about who Jesus Christ is and his great love for you. Don't leave this room without having that conversation with me or Pastor Steve or someone else that you're here with that you know walks with Jesus. This is the day that God brought you to this point to rescue you from this certain terrible judgment and to grant you the eternal reward that he holds for you in Jesus Christ. If you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, already a believer, let's not forget that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so every time we read a passage like this, it should result in the humble examination of our lives. And where we see that we are living in ways of death, we should respond with a return to our God who loves us so greatly and will clean us again and put us on paths of righteousness. How do we respond to God's judgment? With agony for the lost, repentance from our own sin, and finally, it should be a response of service. We should respond with a willingness to serve God and His kingdom to make this message known to our neighbors and to the world. Micah's ministry was to make known the coming judgment of God in all of these towns, and to towns he hadn't been to, even to the northern kingdom of Israel. You see, the prophet's task is not just to yell angry words at anonymous crowds, but he's inviting people to the grace of God. And the prophet's hope is that the people would listen and turn to God and be rescued from their sin. Now, the New Testament teaches us that there is a universal call of God on the life of every believer. We are all called by God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God the Holy Spirit fills every believer and empowers us to speak the gospel and to make Christ known in whatever spheres we live. That's the universal call of every single follower of Jesus Christ. 
And so regardless of who you are as a Christian person, when you see Micah's ministry unfolding, perhaps it inspires us as well to share in the prophet's task, to make the good news of Jesus Christ known to a place that is under and facing the judgment of God. But not only is there a universal call on everyone in the church, the New Testament also teaches us that there is a unique call of God on the lives of some people to serve the church or to serve the nations in full-time service. Now, that call is a unique call. It's not a call for everyone. It sounds like this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, God gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. That's the unique call. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that's the universal call. To build up the body of Christ. And so as I thought about this passage, I wondered if it might be used by God to call some among us into full-time vocational ministry. We need godly businessmen and women who serve the kingdom of God in their business. We need small business owners. We need teachers. We need civil servants. We need people employed in in all areas of life who are doing so for the glory of God. And along with that, we need some who will say yes to the unique call of God to give your life to serve the local church or to serve the mission field, to make Christ known where he has not been named. And I wonder if that could be one of the young people in our church today. If you're a student praying about your future, listen, sister, brother, I want you to pray open-handed about God's possible call on your life. What would he want of you? And you might evaluate that call using one of these three tests. There will be an internal confirmation, meaning that in your own relationship with Christ, God will confirm in you that he's calling you to this unique and special work. There will be an external confirmation as well from family and friends from your church. Uh, There will also be perhaps a confirmation in the form of opportunity. And so you may already be serving in natural ways that affirm God's call on your life, but I want you to pray about your future. And moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, I want us to talk with our young people about praying about their future. Has God put a special call on their lives to serve the church or the kingdom in some unique way? I was a high school student when I recognized this in my own life, internally, externally, through opportunity. I knew that God had put a call on my life to ministry. When I shared this with my parents, they both asked the same question, what will, you, what will your real job be? And that's, we're still trying to answer that question. I don't really know. We'll get there one day. But we need to be open-handed with our children and let them hear the voice of God calling them to take the gospel to the nations or to serve the local church. Can I also just say we need more pastors, more ministry leaders, more missionaries with New England DNA. Need more. I'm okay with Midwesterners. We need more New Englanders hearing the unique call of God to carry the gospel to the nations. Uh, Just before the book of Micah is the book of Jonah. Jonah heard the call of God, and he hated it. He hated the people he was sent to. He resisted the call of God. Jonah shows us a negative example of what we should be and do in our hearing of God's call. But Micah answered a call from God, and he loved his people so much, he gave his entire life to call them to the grace of God. 
And so maybe, just maybe, in Micah's call to the towns, you hear God's call to the nations. How should we respond to the reality of God's judgment on our sin? In Micah's message, we find a response of agony over the fate of the lost, repentance from our own sin, and maybe, just maybe, a call from God into ministry. Perhaps you've struggled with these heavy words of judgment, and you might say, Cody, I'm really, I'm struggling to see Jesus in all of this. That's fair. It's a heavy passage. But let the gospel of Matthew shine some Jesus light on Micah chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, we have a description of Jesus' ministry in all the towns and villages of Galilee. Micah's ministry to his towns was to announce the bad news of God's judgment. I want you to think about that juxtaposed with the ministry of Jesus. Look at and listen to what Matthew wrote in chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Micah said, don't tell it in tell town, but by God's grace and sovereign design, Jesus was telling the good news in every town. He was lifting the broken out of the dust. He brought beauty to the ugly places. He released captives out of their captivity. He brought home those who were scattered. He brought a feast of joy to those with bitter lives. He's the rider on the white horse, destroying death once and for all. He's the bridegroom, and we are his bride. He's the way, the truth, and the life, erasing all deception. He's our conquering king, and he's enthroned forever, the glorious king of our salvation. And when we live among our neighbors with the heart of the prophet, then God's grace will visit here also. And Rockland will be built on the rock. And Norwell will become a north star for the gospel. And Situate will be established for God's glory. And Cohasset will be comforted by her king. Hull will be healed. Weymouth will lead the way to glory. And Hingham, Hingham will be heavenly. Let's pray. Father, give us the heart of the prophet this morning to agonize over the judgment to come, to turn to you in your grace and compassion in our repentance, and to announce to those around us that there is hope to be found in Jesus Christ. Micah was a prophet to towns. We're a church of towns. Lord God, let us carry Micah's ministry and the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would give courage this morning to the person who has heard clearly your call on their life into ministry as they discern that and make sense of it. Lord, help them to find confirmation after confirmation of your call on their lives. 
And God, I pray also for the friend in here who has heard your call to salvation today. Thank you for your grace to them in this passage. And thank you for the grace you've shown them in the gift of your son. Lord, this day, as they turn from their sin and turn to Jesus, we know that eternal life will be theirs, and we praise you for this gift. Lord, let it happen today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's respond by taking this time to gaze 